Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He koonai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. These boys were out on an adventure and they came across this body and they alerted the police and when, when the authorities came, they you know, saw that she was dressed in her, um, her maid's outfit and a, and a coat. In 1928, Bay of Plenty woman Elsie Walker disappeared from Papamoa. Days later, her body turned up in Auckland. I'm Jesse Mulligan and you're listening to Crimes NZ, a podcast where we hear from people closest to some of New Zealand's most notorious crimes. In this episode, crime author Scott Bainbridge tells Charlotte Ryan about one of the oldest cold cases in Aotearoa. I grew up in the in the 1970s and you know there was that was the era of the um, motorized offender. And, you know, Mona Blades and, and the, the Korean murders, that they were the, you know, the ultimate mysterious um, unsolved murders. But for a generation before that, for many, many years, it was, it was the mysterious death of Elsie Walker. So Elsie was a 17-year-old girl who lived in, in, on the East Cape, uh, in a little, little remote hamlet called Rokokori, which is just up the coast from Tikaha. And... Um, her older sister had the benefit, like a lot of um, children in that era, the, the older children had the benefit of a um, secondary education. And her older sister spent some time in Auckland and regaled tales of, of Elsie, of Auckland, you know, to Elsie. And she, um, all she wanted to do was was to go to Auckland to become a dressmaker, but her father forbade it because she wasn't really that great academically, um, but she rebelled and, but a con a sort of like a concession was reached and Elsie was able to go to Papamoa where um, her father's sister had married into an affluent uh, farming family. And she was to be to work as a housemaid for her for her relatives for her cousins. But when she actually got there, uh, you know, she found that um, she was treated like nothing more than a slave. Um, she never had her own bedroom. She lived on in an annex off the uh, main bedroom of her aunt and uncle. And yeah, she was treated like a slave by um, by her relatives, including you know her five um, male cousins. And what era are we talking? It's like the early twenties, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about the mid to late 1920s where it was, you know, um, girls back then didn't really, um, you know, go into any profession other than, um, you know, work in a factory or, or work as a, um, as a housemaid. Um, and, and that was um, a lot, lot of girls from that era. That's what they, they did until they, you know, found husbands. Yeah. Uh, so she moved from Gisborne or the East Cape to Papamoa. She was a housemaid. Did they, did they still treat her with respect? Um, no, and you know, I, I had access to the you know the police files, which is some of the biggest files I've ever seen in my life because they, you know, they, they're contained in twelve boxes and it's you know it's massive. And so I went through all of the papers, and certainly a lot of the witness statements, uh, including the family themselves, say that um, you know they mistreated Elsie. Um, 
you know, she was allowed to eat with them, but then, you know, her daily task was to look after the three-year-old. And then her auntie, who was um, Constance Bailey, who was a um, sort of uh, loved her, her place in high society. So she basically mm-hmm. had to follow her, her auntie around from, you know, morning tea to morning tea and just sit there in the corner. So she, you know, she, if she had hoped for some sort of lease of, of freedom, um, she was sadly mistaken. It's really sad. So then tell me what happened after that, because she disappeared really randomly, didn't she? Yeah, well, a a few unusual things happened in the days before she disappeared and that um, she was acting a little bit um, oddly. She had hit her head um, on a window while she was cleaning the window and had to sit down. Um, And her aunt claimed later that, you know, after that she would just sort of daze into, into space. But... On the night she disappeared, um, there was nothing unusual. The family were hosting a relative, um, a, a young woman of Elsie's age, who had come down from Auckland and regaled sort of stories about um, seeing Charles Kinsid Smith, you know, land his plane. And Elsie had to do the washing up, and she was a little bit, I guess, perhaps embarrassed or, or, or jealous even. And um, she certainly was seemed to be acting a little bit oddly and... Um, that night, um, she was last seen putting the scraps of, of, of rubbish outside. And her, one of her older cousins was coming home from a dance and he noticed the family vehicle wasn't in its in its garage, placed in its garage. And so um, they, he didn't really think too much of it um, until the next morning when they woke up and found that Elsie had disappeared as well as the car. Um, they, it, it was quite, it was regarded, you know, quite oddly because, you know, Elsie, couldn't drive. Um, there was, you know, there was no apart from her um, behaviour. It was her odd behaviour. It was thought that she, maybe she, you know, got a little bit of um, felt a little bit jealous and then stole the family car and driven to Auckland. And sure enough, mm. the vehicle was found the next day in Pamura, and then a day later, her body was found in bush under um, well, in, in bush near Mount Wellington. Now, you know, back then in 1928, Pamura and Mount Wellington were very, very much rural areas. They're not built up wasn't built up so um you know the, the vehicle was found um the tire had been changed the and elsie certainly oh. mm, really odd and, and who you know, found her body uh, sorry to interrupt um, but... yeah it was it was just a, um two boys who were out um you, you know the the, the 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 area where her body was found was was you know great it was great big fields and, and bush and so you know these boys were out on an adventure and they came across this body and they alerted the police and when when the authorities came they you know they saw that she was dressed in her um her maid's outfit in a, in a coat and um which was odd for that time because it, you know anybody that wanted to go out of the family home um you know w- whatever class you're in or, or whatever um city you lived in um you would always dress up in your sunday best so it was it was regarded that um this was quite unusual for this housemaid to be still found in her housemaid's outfit but there was no outward signs or um of violent death there was like a 10 cent size bruise to her forehead that was the only sign of any injury so um you know they they, they took the body back and um they initially thought that maybe she had hit her head or maybe she had ingested some sort of poison mm-hmm. and certainly that was the view for a wee while but just the whole manner of of her um of her disappearance was just out of character you know because she she couldn't drive um so and and she would have taken the car if that theory holds and driven a long the way Pamua to Papamore, yeah 
Well, well, you know, the Kaimois were impassable at that stage. It took often, often on a rainy on a rainy day, it took often a day to pass. So she would have had to have gone to Rotorua and then um, then up. And you know, the Bombays were were fed, you know, le- less better because you know they it was it was really a dirt track. So you know, this girl who had never driven before, had never been to Auckland before, had no reason to go to Auckland because she knew no one there. You know, and she and, and and furthermore, she was dressed in a maid's outfit, which she you know she wouldn't have done. You and know, you, her body and, arrives. Yeah, and you mentioned the tire. Someone had changed the tire. And somebody changed the tire. Mm, yeah. Okay. Is there anything else we need to know about the body? I mean, not going into too much detail, but there was no sort of sign of a sexual attack or anything like that. Not at that stage. I mean, the the, the police went with the theory that perhaps she'd she'd um, you know driven off in a in a, a fit of jealousy and banged her head, changed the tyre, banged her head and then wandered off in a daze and then crawled under the bush and died. And so um, the, the the police weren't really getting anywhere too fast with that. And then when they received um, sort of the hurry along from the then commissioner, because by this stage, um, the Truth newspaper were getting involved. Mm. And, and I, I need to hear that the Truth newspaper was was uh, most people remember as a scandalous rag but back in the 1920s it was one of the few newspapers that covered you know a lot of information quite thoroughly uh, even though it was a little bit far-fetched but the truth reporter and redma Esker's book about the truth mentions that they had some of the most um you know colorful writers or colorful journalists and these these people were putting together stories Basically, the truth reporter was following the the police from door to door, and then they were making up stories as they went. But it, the the stories were, you know, quite dramatic. But it had reached a point where the police weren't getting anywhere with their case, and they brought in a, a detective called James Bickerdyke from Christchurch. Now, Bickerdyke was one of those hard nosed um, detectives who he was really at this point in his career he was really wanting a win because he, uh, in, in my book, shot in the dark, which mm. covers the Elsie Walker case mm. in the chapter beforehand, tells of an, another unsolved murder of a girl in Christchurch, another um, housemaid. And Bickerdyke, you know, was he couldn't secure a conviction for that murder. And so he was really wanting um, wanting a, a victory here. And so he was brought in and he cha- he had a look at the at, at the statements of the Baileys and um, and he actually decided to send the cloth- Elsie's clothing away for um, blood analysis. And all of a sudden, one point that the, the the pathologist came back with an addendum to the original statement to say we believe that um, Elsie Walker had died as a result of a blow to the head. Now this I, I can't begin to say how much this actually surprised the senior police, but it also it brought in a new track. So they were able to go down the avenue of okay, so she may have been killed by somebody who was it. Um, the Elsie's clothing at the stage had come back and, and found semen stains on her bloomers oh. and, and blood, which happened in the period um, immediately before um, you know she disappeared. So forensic science today would be able to confirm who it was, but um, Bickerdyke placed a lot of pressure on the Bailey family, and um, and and it was concluded that you know the seaman had arrived on her bloomers as, as a result of her skylarking with one of the Bailey boys, um, you know, her cousins. Um, so which one of them it was, you know, no one would admit to. Mm. But it, it, it changed the whole thing. And so so the, the commission wanted to hurry along. The inquest went ahead. Um, now, the police 
decided to close in on one of the five Bailey boys, and that was Bill. Bill Bailey, he was the oldest one, and he was 21 at that stage. And about a month before Elsie um, disappeared or, or, or was killed or mm. died, mm. Um, Bill left in a, in, a, in, a, in a hurry and moved to Auckland because he, Bill was the local ladies' man. He was a, and a, also a bit of a troublemaker. And he got his um, 15-year-old um, neighbour uh, pregnant. And so he basically escaped to Auckland with the help of his mother and set up there. Uh, try, they tried to set him up on a farm. Now, um, there was a thought that Bill may have, you know, somehow come back to Papamoa because he was, at this stage, his father had kind of disinherited him for when he found out about the scandal. So he was left to his own devices and he didn't have work. And so it was thought that, you know, he, he might have snuck back on the train overnight. And because the, the, at that stage, the main trunk railway went straight through the Bailey's property in Papamoa. So oh. as it slowed down, he could have jumped off jumped and, off. and, and Grabbed jumped off, gone got into mm. the house and grabbed the car. But he also, also there was money missing from the Bailey household, so um, as well as some of the jewellery. Yet Elsie's purse with her meagre savings and it was still on the table. So um, Bickerdike came up with a theory that maybe Elsie, was, while well, she was cleaning the rubbish, had caught Bill outside and um, and Bill was, was robbing the house, looting the house and, and, and perhaps she there was a confrontation him. and then he yeah. hit her. And, and because the other interesting aspect to that is that where the car was found was pretty close to where Bill had first moved to Auckland a month earlier. So the inquest went, went for a week and it was, by this stage, it was it was really high profile. And Bill went on, took the stand and it, he must have thought that he was on trial for his life because, you know, the um, Vincent Meredith, who was the um, Crown Prosecutor at that stage, was pretty relentless in his, in his cross-examination and had to be held back by the magistrate um, to say, hey, look, this isn't a murder trial, this is an inquest, we need to find out the cause of death. Um, did and, he have and, an alibi? End, yeah. Uh, did, what, what did he say? Bill, Bill, well, Bill had a number of alibis, and mainly from his, his wife, his new wife, as well as um, other people. But later it came out that people couldn't confirm the date that they did see Bill. So it was a little bit eerie-fairy, but certainly at that time um, they you know, were regarded with credence. And, you know, the whole... Um, the whole sort of theory that Bill might have killed his cousin, um, if there was a sexual motive, you know, people were very conservative, conservative yeah. back then, and you know, it was probably doubtful. Yeah. And what sort of forensic technology did they have back then? Because uh, yeah, my brain is just um, boggling thinking, well, we'd be able to solve that crime ASAP if it was these days because of our technology. But did they have fingerprints and everything like that back in those days? They did, and the car was fingerprinted. It was extremely dusty, but, um, you know, they could find no fingerprints on it. And when um, Elsie was stripped at the morgue, um, her clothes were put in like a, um, a closet, and it stay- and they stayed there for months until they, dis- you know, until they determined that she didn't die of poisoning and until somebody came out and thought, hey, we better send the, um, the bloomers and the clothes off for forensic testing. But Professor Armitage, who was the um, government bacteriologist at that stage who tested for blood mm. um, and semen analysis, he couldn't really give a, um, an accurate um, guess as to who it was um, because, you know, the clothes by that stage had dried up. Um, he oh. could confirm that that the, that the semen likely would have come from the Baileys, somebody in the Bailey family. But at that stage, you know, still in forensic science, still in its infancy, it, he couldn't narrow down exactly who. 
Oh, my gosh. So did they ever have a funeral for her? Yep, they did. It was um, attended by um, Bill and his father. Um, Bill's father came up and he, he put himself in charge of, of, of the funeral. She was buried at Purua Cemetery and Elsie's dad came up from the coast um, for the day and then headed back on the, on the train. But um, the, the, the fact that, that there was death by misadventure just wasn't accepted by the public. And by this stage, there's a, a big furore and um, the, the, the Minister of Justice lobbied for Parliament to put a commission inquiry to, to work out how come the police didn't know about or changed the, the attack about the, um, you know, an accidental death to a possible death by, you know, death by a blow to the head. So the police, you know, uh, the police went on, on trial and they said, well, actually, we were flawed by the pathologist change in their opinion, whereas the pathologist said, well, actually, we only we didn't come to that conclusion first because we thought that she had been poisoned. Um, it was only after that we determined she wasn't poisoned that um, we, we thought that the only logical sign of an injury there was that small blow to the head that she must have died from the blow to the head. So um, the police were were um, under the knife at that stage, and yeah. so and all all the while the Truth newspaper, you know, every week it's a, you know there's a new story. Any little tidbit of information was made and elaborated into this massive story. And if you, I encourage listeners to go into papers past where the truth in 1928 and 29 is accessible. And if you read week by week the, um, the the articles about Elsie Walker and you compare them to, say, the chapter in my book, which I believe is, is quite comprehensive, mm. there are two very, very different stories, yet both are quite plausible and quite, um, well, and quite engaging. The truth paper is, is, is you know, highly fictional. And I'll give you an example of a story in, in that um, when the police were first searching the area where Elsie was found, they found a minty wrapper. So, you know, the, the, yeah. you know, um, the minties were, were, have been around longer than we have. And it was, it was determined later that one of the Boy Scouts, because there was a Boy Scouts hall sort of quite close by, that one of the Boy Scouts had dropped a, a minty wrapper. But when the truth heard about this, you know, then they, then they um, made a whole article about, well, poor Elsie Walker was sitting on a, you know, uh, on, on a picnic blanket, possibly eating a minty while her killer was, you know, walking around and about to strike her type thing. And, and you know, you, you read that and it's, it's like, wow, you know, that's quite amazing. But, um, you know, it was all, this whole story was elaborated over this, you know, this innocent minty wrapper. Oh my gosh, it's it's very it's I feel very sad for this case. Like it, she sounds like she was just in a terrible situation, but it went unresolved, didn't it? Like no one was charged. No one was charged, and you, you know, um, after the um, commission of inquiry, even um, a neighbour of Constance Bailey wrote to her to say that you know I've got um, I saw Bill Bailey on the train that day. Yet when this woman was interviewed earlier, um, she, you know she said that she didn't hear anything. Um, so Constance went to the police and said, and they set up this this type of, you know, this operation in this hotel room. And, you know, back in the day, there was no recording devices. So there's the, there's a record in, uh, in, um, in my book where Constance Bailey is talking to this woman and it's, she's clumsily trying to, you know, induce a bribe out of this woman and this woman's sort of, you know, standoffish and you can and, and in the meantime the detective is in the um, closet next door with a notebook trying to you know write in shorthand a re recording of this um, 
you know, of this um, alleged bribery. But so um, Bill Bailey's mother was trying to yeah. bribe the woman who thought she saw Bill Bailey on the train. Well, this woman was trying to bribe Bill Bailey's mum, and um, and oh. Bill Bailey's mum was was up for it, but she got the police involved, and this woman wouldn't come out and say name a price, but you could tell that Constant was saying, well, what can I do? What do you want me to do? And this woman says, well, you tell me what you want me to do. So it went back and forward like that mm. um, for about an hour. Um, you know, so but but when that made the news, uh, the fact that Bill was seen on a train, that resulted in another commission of inquiry where the public by the stage were, you know, there were there were marches and to Parliament, there were demonstrations in, in the Civic Square in Auckland, um, asking the police to reopen Elsie's case. Oh, really? But so it was, police, it was quite a big public yeah. thing, yeah. It was massive all around the country. And, you know, Elsie was, uh, you know, a timid 17-year-old girl. So, you know, what she would have made of it, you know, who, who knows? But she would have been probably quite embarrassed. But the police at that stage couldn't reopen the case. But a, a law was passed later that if new information came to hand, then the authorities had the, um, you know, were able to reopen a, a case, but they couldn't with Elsie. So, she, you know, her case went unsolved for years. But Bill Bailey, uh, I probably need to, to, to explain that, you know, even though there was no radio and no TV, people read the newspaper and Bill Bailey's name was mentioned all throughout, and so everybody knew Bill Bailey. And by this stage, he had moved to a to one of his father's farms to manage one of the father's farms in Ruawaru, which is just slightly northeast of, sorry, northwest of of, of Huntley, mm. quite a remote area. And Bill had um, fallen out with his neighbours, um, Sam and Christabel Lakey, to the point there there was a massive feud. And Bill went over one day and, and had a go at them about something. And Mrs. Lakey accused him of killing Elsie Walker. And we expect the same. And, um, you know, one day in 1933, um, farmers noticed, farmers in the area noticed that the Lakey's milk hadn't been taken or taken down for collection. And they went to go search the farm for, for them and found Pet Lakey or um, Christabel Lakey's body. Um, she had, she had been beaten to death, and her, and her body was was um, laid out in a pond. And they couldn't find Sam Lakey, mm. and they they searched for days and days. But some quite um, astute detectives who'd come down from Auckland searched the the garden and the the fence line and found burnt bits of of um, was later determined to be Sam Lakey. So in short, what happened was that. Um, Sam Lakey may have been shot dead and then his body put in a um, like a, a oil drum oh. and burnt beyond, you know, and, and so his remains were scattered beyond the farm. And so Bill Bailey was the likeliest suspect. And so, um, you know, he went to trial and he was indeed um, found guilty of the double murder and hanged. Oh, no way. And mm. and they didn't open the other case at all, the Elsie Walker no. case? No, so effectively that, that Elsie Walker's case is still unresolved. Oh my gosh, that is a turn, the the Lakey deaths. So what, do you know anything about what the Bailey family did after he murdered his neighbours? You know, did they disown him or was there any, you know, did they turn up to court or support his son? Well, they did and, and, and Constance Bailey was, you know, at his side all throughout, you know, and she would probably admit to, up to a dying day that Bill was innocent of everything. Um, certainly, the, the the Baileys were quite a well-respected family in the wider uh, Papamoa Tipuki community, and the whole scandal, you know, certainly back in the day, um, 
you know, they, they pretty much withdrew into themselves. I, I know that um, when I researched the book, I did get in contact with um, members of Elsie's um, descendants, or not so much her immediate descendants, but um, her, she had three brothers and three sisters. So I contacted some descendants uh, who were quite elderly then who don't recall Elsie, but know all about the case. And, you know, they don't have much love for, you know, the, the, the Bailey family, um, you know, even perhaps to this day. Right. They certainly believe that he was he was guilty. Whereas, you know, there there was um it's probably unfair to blame Bill for Elsie's death because it was it was never proved. And as I say, he did have alibis. Um uh, some of them and I certainly believe that the uh, sighting on the train uh, by Mrs. Thompson, the mm. lady next door, mm. was was false and it was only a um I mean, in the end she sold her story to the truth and got quite a bit of money out of it. Oh, which probably may have been a lie anyway. I'd say so because um, Bill would have come, if Bill had, had um, killed Elsie, he would have come on the overnight train um, in the dead of night, which was a goods train. Um, he would have easily been able to stow aboard, whereas Mrs Thompson and Mrs Langdon, the, um, the, the two sisters, they claim to have seen Bill you know, at some point during a day, a couple of days before. Mrs Langdon, when she was interviewed, um, first denied it, but then after meeting up with her sister, then told truth that, no, he definitely was on the train because I saw him first. Oh, my gosh. It's so uncomfortable um, <laughs> thinking yeah. how sad this is and that he was never charged or that, you know, no one was ever charged for her death. You know, there's a lot of cases that sometimes get reopened years and years on. Is this case, could it ever be reopened, do you think? Oh, look, I, I don't think so. No. Um, certainly, you know, reading the police file, um, you know, they, they did everything in their power to get to the bottom of it. And I'm not saying that um, Detective Bickerdyke, you know, resorted to, um, you know, anything untoward. He was just looking for a different angle because the original theory was just so far-fetched, yet it, yeah, it wasn't logical. Um, so, you know, they had to go down a different tact. And placing pressure on the Bailey family certainly opened up more avenues of inquiry. Um, if, if Elsie's killer was, was alive today, which I seriously doubt, um, then I still think that the case wouldn't be reopened. You know, so much time has passed. Um, you know, Elsie's um, bloomers and her clothing, um, I've got photos of that in my book, mm. but they are still held at archives. In fact, the police museum may have them now, um, but, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to get anything from them. But certainly if that scenario happened today, if mm. Elsie disappeared today and we go through the same scenario, there's no doubt in my mind that that case wouldn't be solved um, immediately. Do you think you know who killed... I mean, would you, could you say, I think Bill Bailey did it? Um, I do think that Bill Bailey was responsible, um, but then I've also... Um, look, I've been mulling this over for years yeah, and years. Um, I bet. But I do wonder whether or not, you know, uh, Frank Bailey, who is, you know, the, the, the patriarch of the household, you know, he may have had something to do with it too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Crimes NZ, hosted by me, Jesse Mulligan. And a big thanks to Scott Bainbridge. You can read more about this case and many others in his book, Shot in the Dark. This podcast is produced by Melita Tull, Charlie Drever, Sam Hollis and Ayanna Piper-Helian. It's been edited by Grant Walker and Liz Garten. Tim Watkin is executive producer of RNZ Podcasts. 
You can find Crimes NZ and all RNZ's great podcasts like the Aotearoa History Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio and many more. It's now also on YouTube. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.